Do you know what would have been amazing, right? Is like if I had injured myself doing something like badass, like punching a bull. But instead, what happened was I was at the two pigs and I pointed at something. And yeah. I pointed at everything from the right, so the left hand side of my neck all the way down to about the left hand side of my rib, the bottom of my rib cage, just went. I broke my neck pointing at something. I think I might be old. Welcome to Dangerously Unprepared. I am Simon, and joining me as ever are Rob. Hi. Irish. Hello. And from an altered state of consciousness, Jack. I'm sober. That is a lie. I know. Lies are bad. No, you are drunk I'm, and lying. Oh, shit. I'm a double sinner. Many <laughs> sins simultaneously. Oh, shit. I'm sorry, Jesus. <laughs> so this is going to be a good one. Do we have anything we want to cover before we get started on the topic? Yes, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm that's so, out of the way. I'm anything so else? sorry. Simon, have you got Rick and Morty regality yet? No, no, but I am definitely going to play it this weekend. So I will let you know more about it next week, uh, next, week next episode. Cool. Oh, oh movie-wise... I saw my first ever Fast and the Furious movie. All right. Which I one did you see? Eight. That's a really weird one to choose as your first. <laughs> right? Isn't it just? <laughs> I like, suspect you don't need to have seen the others, though, somehow. <laughs> like, just you do, because this me. one is all about everything that's been building up for seven films coming to a head. And if you don't have the, the, the intricate details of all of the intricately woven webs of connections between people then it won't mean See, anything you say that right but like there were characters from six and seven that and i only know they were from six and seven because of like pop culture references and whatnot but like that turned up and and like i feel like maybe it might have been good if i'd seen those two before but they, they explained enough to to for like the newbie to get into it and i was really surprised it was a really quite a good film Really I, I keep saying I want to marathon these films because <laughs> Me too. They, they have a great reputation for being enormously entertaining. Yeah, they're like, they're like not great fucking Oscar-worthy, holy shit, you know, amazing film of the year things. But it's like, you know what? This is quite enjoyable. And, and also, you know, of all the films to, like, you know, Bechdel test the fuck out of shit, Fast and the Furious is not one I was expecting. Family. Because I've... I've gone on record before saying I really enjoyed the first one, didn't enjoy the second, and stopped. But yeah. now I'm regretting that because apparently apparently they got good again. Two, two and three are bad, and then Vin Diesel comes back, and then suddenly they get really good again. Um, and also, Jason Statham is a fucking treasure. Well, yeah. Yeah. As is Michelle Rodriguez, but that is like true of all things. Didn't she run Wait. someone over at one point? Uh, very possibly. Now, are you accusing Michelle Rodriguez, the actress, of vehicular um, assault, <laughs> or are you referring to the Fast and the Furious movies? I'm, I'm referring to the actress. Wait, really? Yeah, I swear Wait. to God, she was on Lost, 
and then she got kicked off the show because she ran someone over or something. She was on Lost. Yeah. Yeah. Lost was awful. Bits of it were awful. Like, the majority of it was awful, but there were some good bits in it. I say that because I'm trying to justify wasting that portion of my life watching it. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. She, she's, been, she's been arrested for fighting with her roommate. With and a car? Also, no, but also speeding <laughs> whilst in Hawaii. Win? And also driving under the influence. Yeah, it was in Hawaii that she was like, lost, obviously. Yeah, yeah she, so that's probably what she, I'm thinking she, she of. She didn't yeah. run anyone over, but she was speeding, and also eventually they also found her driving drunk. So she was she didn't run anyone over. Okay, <laughs> that we're aware of. I mean, you know, <laughs> no one came forward. I mean, would you? She's a lovely lady, and a very good actress. But apparently not a great driver. Not a great driver, but, you know, we can't all be good at everything. Although, I say that, not a lawful driver. Yeah, like, you could be a good driver. She's a chaotic neutral driver. Like, it actually takes talent to drive as fast as she was when she was arrested in, sort of, island roads. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, maybe she's just not a very lawful driver. Slow down, Michelle. Just slow right. it out. <laughs> <laughs> that's the message that's on our show today. Implying that Michelle Rodriguez listens to our show, which I would be so happy about. Of course she listens. <laughs> Everyone listens. Everyone listens to this. Everyone. So, um, what would you... I mean, rating systems are flawed and everything, but, like, what is your walkaway feeling of FF8? Final Fantasy VIII. Yeah, I thought it was well, alright. Yeah, Fate of the Furious. Oh, F- Face of the Furious. You know what? I I I think it was quite a fun, like little action movie compared to like sort of the 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 action franchises of the here and now, like your Transformers and whatnot. I'd say this is definitely preferable. Um, right. It's it, it's 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 a bit stupid and a bit fun. And it doesn't. It's not very offensive, really. I'll, you know, in the sense of like, you can look at this and go, "Oh, that's a lot of fun," and it's it's not doing anything to piss people off. Michael Bay should take notes. Is all I'm saying, basically. I've not seen it. I just know that whatever rating I wanted to give it, I'd have to dock it points for not calling it F eight of the, of the Furious. Yeah, yes. right. Because yeah. when I come up with a Fast and the Furious name pun that they don't, that makes me feel bad. And they've made me feel bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, it's safe to say they could have, they could have, they could really have gone with that. I mean, the chances are, if someone had said they're going to call it Fate of the Furious and have it F8 there, like, I would have put money on that, and they didn't. So they made us all look pretty stupid. Well done. Vin Diesel and The Rock and Jason Statham and Michelle Rodriguez and whoever else is in it. Lots of people. Lots of people are in it. The whole family. Family! That's even got to the tagline of the trailer. Like, it goes like, one man or whatever. (laughs) And then it has family in massive letters across it. It's like, we, we get it. We get it, guys. Family. And whilst the film isn't out yet, uh, Guardians. There is Guardians news. James Gunn has announced he is returning to write and direct the third Guardians of the Galaxy film. Yeah, I, 
I think they decided that they needed him to finish off the third one. Like, well, it was. I mean, they definitely asked him, but it was. Uh, he was uncertain whether he wanted to do it. Yeah, yeah. Because of that problem with trilogies. Yeah, there, there's problem. a lot of trilogies that don't go well in the third film. Yeah, and he was like, "I don't want to do a third because it's expected. I only want to do it if I've got the story to tell." And he did a big Facebook announcement saying, "I have a story to tell," and made reference to the fact that you know there's been a decade of Marvel movies at this point building up to Infinity War, and Guardians Three will be after that. So he said, it's been, you know, a pleasure building these characters up and it will be a pleasure sending them off into the next decade of Marvel movies. Yeah. That'd be cool. I, I think it'll be great. I think the second one's going to be great. I think the third one's probably going to be great. I have a lot of optimism for the Guardians franchise, yeah. Yeah, good writer, good director. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm very excited about two. I've also discovered Planet Coaster, and uh, I was nearly late to record because of it. <laughs> what is this? It is a theme park building game. Nice. I'm not going to say it's a theme park management simulator, because apparently, by all accounts, it's not. The actual sort of economic mechanics of it are a bit broken. Right. But the actual sculpting of the park and the detailing and the, the roller coaster building is just phenomenally... Um, intricate the, the yeah. stuff you can achieve with it is outstanding i was just before we started working on a roller coaster that was a vertical drop um that emerged out of a lake in the sort of entrance courtyard of my theme park uh came over the bridge and just dived back into the lake uh, before doing a bank turn at the other end and then doing a flyover of the lake coming back the other way doing a roll so it goes inverted as it goes across the lake. And it's just, yeah, the detail you can reach is just ridiculous. I saw a video earlier of someone having recreated Nemesis in just perfect detail, including sculpting all the weird alien bits. Oh, wow. wow. So, you, yeah, you can take this as far as you want, really. Can you do what I used to do with Roller Coaster Tycoon, which was have people come into the park, but when they try and leave, they see there's a no-entry zone, so they can't walk through it, so I trap people in my park, forcing them to spend money on snacks so they'll survive. No, unfortunately, you can't uh, do that. I was basically just a big prison. <laughs> like that's what <laughs> that's what I did. That's what I made those games into. Like I had big towers that I used to, you know, sculpt dirt out of. So it's just a massive sheer drop, and people that threw up from eating too many snacks, I put on the massive tower so they, you know, knew they'd done wrong. Um, <laughs> the punishment <laughs> tower. And then they'd be sick on the tower, and then they'd be stuck on their own tower of sick. So. Yeah, it's a great, great game. Great game. Once you get in, you never get out. Exactly. Mr. Bones Wild Ride. Yes. I want to get off Mr. Bones Wild Ride. Did anyone recreate Mr. Bones Wild Ride? Not that I've seen. Ah. Uh, excellent. <laughs> Can you go on a simulated ride of it? Yes, absolutely. Excellent. Once you've created a roller coaster and tested it. You can do, you know, front of the car view, or you can sit in any given seat in it. Can you do it in VR? 
Not yet, Ooh. but I imagine that's coming. <laughs> Amazing. I can't wait for that to actually be affordable. VR. Well, ro roller coasters. <laughs> yeah, roller coasters. I, I can't wait to be able to afford to go on one of those. No, I meant VR. Like, uh, I can't wait for them to be a bit more available. Do you know what I mean? It's the uh, anniversary of the Vive has just passed, and they knocked 100 quid off the price for a little while. Ah. Uh, and the Vive 2 is set to come out soonish, I believe. So we're getting there. It's becoming more and more a commodity. So we're going to get to the point where it's affordable sooner rather than later, I think. Are you going to upgrade to the Vive 2? Or? I don't see any particularly urgent need to right now. But, I mean, I bought my last one because I received a bonus payment and was suddenly flush with cash, and who knows if that happens again. Yes. Uh, maybe. It's entirely yeah. plausible. I reckon there'll be a decent uh, aftermarket for the first-generation ones as well, so that could offset the price a little bit. Hmm. Exciting times. Well, so without further ado, shall we uh, move on? to Mass Effect Andromeda. Let's do what it now. Well, first of all, should we establish who has and who hasn't played Andromeda? Me! Okay. You, you have or haven't played Andromeda. Good to know. Correct. <laughs> I have not. I have. I have. I'm the I have. I've not. <gasps> You've not. I've not. So we're half and half this, this show. What's this video game malarkey? So who has played the first three Mass Effect games? I've played number one. I've played all of them. I've, I've played one, two, and a three. Okay, and I've played all of them as well. So I assume, Jack and Irish, you don't mind spoilers or you wouldn't have agreed to the topic. No. Oh, maybe I should duck out. <laughs> Fuck you. But for the listeners, of course, we're going to talk about it the way we normally do. So expect spoilers from the start. Spoilers. Mass uh, So before we started recording, Rob, you were saying you were looking forward to this episode. Yeah, I am. And it's uh, it's a weird one. Like, I've, I've been a really, really big fan of Mass Effect from the beginning. Like, I had... I had the first one a couple of a couple of days after it was released, loved it, and since then I have always loved it. But this one has tested me in a way that I didn't think it would. I this is going to be helpful for me because by the end of this, I'm hopefully going to have a more uh, collected sort of idea in my mind as to whether I enjoyed it or not. Like. There were bits of it that I really, really liked, and there are bits of it that I thought I didn't know how to feel. I, I just don't know how to feel about it right now. So this will be this will be good for me, I reckon. Okay, uh, so a little bit of background for anyone listening who's unfamiliar with Mass Effect entirely. Yeah, uh, the first three Mass Effect games, the Mass Effect trilogy, uh, were uh, following the adventures of Commander Shepard. A, a soldier? Um, what, what was that? Sorry, that was my phone. <laughs> okay. A soldier in a space opera future where mankind has ventured out into the stars 
due to the discovery of a Mass Effect relay, uh, a MacGuffin that allows faster than light travel and propels us to the Citadel, which is a giant space station where advanced alien races have formed this galaxy-spanning government. And it's about the slow discovery and dealing with the threat of the Reapers, an ancient race of beings or... Uh, as you later learn, constructed beings who every 50,000 years come and wipe out all sentient life in the galaxy, resetting the clock and allowing new civilizations to rise because of the rampant threat of AI. Uh, I, I will admit that all came about in the third game and the plot doesn't make a lot of sense because there were writing troubles with the third game. Yeah. In general, very solid writing. It's Bioware RPG. Uh, surprisingly solid action for a lot of it as well mm -hmm. and was much loved by many uh, including myself and i think i can safely say including rob yeah and one other thing as well i would say is one of the most um uh emotional emotional sort of uh, experiences in a game for me because you got to develop with these characters that you got to know across the course of three games and that was another good selling point for it as well that the relationships that you develop with your crew and stuff so that was also something great about the original yes because certain characters were there throughout the trilogy certain characters came back in the third that had been there in the first so you had some really long-term relationships established between the player and some of the characters mm -hmm. uh, which did add depth to the the interactions now for this version of Mass Effect, Mass Effect Andromeda, the trilogy is over. Commander Shepard's storyline has been told. And they've set this in another galaxy, and it is both 600 years later, and due to the fact that most of those 600 years were spent in suspended animation by all of the characters in the game, um, they also don't have any awareness of what happened at the end of the trilogy. So they neatly avoid having to deal with the consequences of the original storyline. So it is it is a carte blanche. It's a tabula rasa. It's a complete start over, but with familiar alien races in a whole new circumstance. Your ending is sense. canon. Your ending is canon, yes. Whatever your ending is, whichever colour you chose. Yes, whatever <laughs> colour you chose. It's canon now. Uh, it, yes, so that choice is of no consequence to this story. It's it's a smart idea. It gives them a chance to really start over, make a break, but also stick with what's familiar, which sort of makes sense when you're handing the franchise over to a new studio. And also the ending. And that's the sort of start of where things get a bit shaky for the development of Andromeda. It's not just a new studio, it's a new engine. Uh, this follows EA mandating development on the Frostbite engine, which Bioware hadn't used uh, prior to Dragon Age Inquisition. Uh, so the teams are still very much getting used to it. So it's a new team, new technology, new characters, new galaxy. They're starting over. They don't have a lot of the momentum that they had from Mass Effect 3, and I think people have reacted to that in very different ways, depending on who you ask. Mm. Though I will say, the one of the things that I enjoyed most about this game was um, the combat. 
like it was dealt with was it it was the multiplayer people from mass effect 3 that have done this right yeah the core of the team that did andromeda were the team who developed the multiplayer for mass effect 3 so combat was their thing yeah no question about that uh also the frostbite engine lends itself to shooter combat yes uh, which is one of the reasons ea have picked it up because battlefield used frostbite i believe that was the first sort of big frostbite game for ea and um along with that also uh star wars battlefront is frostbite as well so yes. very similar kind of game very shootery it's not really an rpg engine so no. i feel like the developers of andromeda and inquisition were fighting against the technology a little bit yeah uh, but in many ways it is a graphical improvement over what they were using before it does look great like the game in 4k it looks pretty stunning in a number of places that i can think of um but yeah it's, it's it's an enigma this game to me like uh like i was saying before and uh let well i don't want to go into this now but let's just let's just go through it then so before we go into uh specifics simon what was your what is your walk away opinion from andromeda did you like it i loved it I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I was wary for the first 10 to 15 hours, which seems like a really long time. Yeah. But it's like a 60-hour game. Yes. So you're talking about a fraction, a, a significant fraction, a fraction, admittedly, but a fraction of the game. I feel like there's a serious pacing issue with Mass Effect Andromeda in that it doesn't get good for a while. Yeah. And I don't know why there's such a radical change, because this is a video game. They're not developed in sequence. You don't finish the first bit, then make the second bit, then make the third bit. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah, not yeah. how it works. So it's not that they're getting better as they go along. It just seems that it, it might be down to the fact that it's starting over with a completely fresh cast in a f completely fresh galaxy in a completely fresh circumstance that there's too much groundwork to lay too quickly for the first part of it to be compelling. Yeah. Uh, that's the only reason I can think of for this sort of curve of quality. But yeah. genuinely, I feel like the writing as it goes on gets better. I feel like the, uh, the depth gets more interesting. What you're doing what people are saying, and the whole circumstance just builds, which gives it a nice sort of crescendo. So by the end of the game, I was totally invested. I loved it. I walked away. I was very fond of pretty much everyone on the crew. Uh, they are a gang of adorable space dorks, yes. and I love them all. <laughs> yes, they and are. I'm, I'm really looking forward to what's next because it leaves you with a satisfying conclusion and a hook for where the story could be going it does get it gives you a few hooks doesn't it and um i think i'll agree with you there because like it, it does it is like a, a train building momentum um and i'm really glad you put it that way because that's that's cleared a few things up for me because i was thinking yeah it is kind of slow in a lot of places but you're right it does build something massive at the end which um, does feel quite rewarding. I think 
the thing that I found, I, I don't know whether it was just me being resistant to this being sort of new territory or because I loved this element in the other games uh, and it not being there in Andromeda. I I felt I kind of missed the, the Paragon Renegade um, sort of scale. For those who don't know, it was kind of like your, your karma scale, uh, your good and evil for the Mass Effect series, um, which allowed you to kind of in broad strokes kind of establish whether your character was a by the book kind of commander who followed the rules or someone who was a bit well like i say renegade someone who's not afraid to put a bullet in someone if they step out of line you know so i don't know like i, I think that's something that i kind of missed but um i do like some of the choices that you are given despite of that in this game there were some good um heavy choices in this to make which i quite liked i didn't miss paragon and renegade specifically because i will never miss a binary morality especially one that's been implemented as sporadically as the paragon and renegade system was <laughs> true I, I did hear someone describe uh, paragon and renegade as par the paragon choice is to do the right thing in any circumstance. The renegade choice is to do something that is not the right thing <laughs> on a sliding scale from slapping someone to committing homicide. You just don't know what you're going to get with that's a renegade a, choice. That's a big scale. That's a big scale, and it's completely random what you get when you press that button. That's true, but at the same I time, it feel... still makes you feel that you're making a, a, a split decision between one and the other, though. With Andromeda, I didn't feel that as much. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I was going to go on to say, I, mean, I, I think that choice between one thing or the other is always a false dichotomy, because there are always other ways to approach anything. Yeah. But what I feel that they, they did that was right and wrong was they they looked to Dragon Age Inquisition for inspiration, well, the Dragon Age series. Uh, there is a lot in which they look specifically to Inquisition for inspiration in this game. But in general, that choosing your tone, ca uh, casual, professional, um, logical, uh, uh, comes yeah. straight out of Dragon Age 2. That's Hawk. Yeah. Um, but what Inquisition and Dragon Age in general do better than Andromeda is having the characters react to your tone and the choices you make. So yeah. what I like about the Dragon Age games is you can make decisions that will please some people and displease others. So you still have a morality. It's just, is your morality in line with other characters' morality as opposed to, is it universally good? Is it universally bad? Yeah. Um, and you can sort of have this moment where, wait, 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 this person who I think is an asshole approves of what I just, what did I just do? Why do they approve of me? I don't like that. Yeah. Or someone you really admire disapproves and you're like, wait, what did I do? And I, I wasn't getting that feedback from the other characters in Andromeda. I had these choices, these tones, these ways to deal with things, but I had no real system of feedback as to whether I was doing the right thing with one very, very notable exception. Um, I, yeah, I think I know which one you mean. <laughs> I uh, pissed Drac off a lot. Um, <laughs> and I would have liked to have seen more, than, more of that. And I also would have liked to have seen more decisions with consequence uh, and more opportunities to be an asshole. 
Yes. Uh, you can't be a dark character, really, in this. No, and I, I think you've spelled out quite wonderfully how that's probably what I was looking for. Maybe not so much the Paragon and Renegade, but the my decisions or the way that I'm acting being reflected in how the other characters are feeling to, like you say, get some kind of feedback about it, you know? Um, yeah. Whereas you're kind of just making a decision and then you're like, okay, how's that going to affect anyone or anything and you just don't get anything and it's kind of like because yeah. it's um, generally the right decision expressed in slightly different ways mm, yeah. yeah well that's cleared up something for me thanks for that <laughs> um, no problem no 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 it's good um but the, what the, its strengths, I think, uh, like you were saying, the the introduction to all of these, you, you are given an awful lot of information at the beginning, which they do a good job of explaining pretty well. Like, first of all, you've been asleep for 600 years, um, and you aren't the first pe person to wake up, for example. People have woken up before you, so a new situation has been building uh, whilst you were still in cryosleep, which I found quite interesting. Yes, so the premise is... <laughs> The Andromeda Initiative was a response to a perceived crisis back in the Milky Way. Uh, this crisis was almost certainly the Reaper threat, let's face it. Someone knew it was coming. I have theories as to who. Yes, we should talk about that at the end, I think. <laughs> yes. And it was a multi-stage project. So the first thing that was sent was the Nexus, which is... It, it's presumably the building blocks of and then became a citadel-like space station that they could set up in Andromeda as the foothold, uh, the beachhead from which to explore. And it would be followed by the first four arcs, sleeper ships containing tens of thousands of uh, suspended animation, humans, Turians, um Asari, and uh, Salarians. Other species to follow later due to various environmental hazards or stasis issues. So you know that the Quarian are coming later, the Elcor are coming later. But the first four to arrive are those core species, the Citadel species. And there were a bunch of Krogan on the Nexus as well. Yeah. So the Nexus is supposed to be there, up and running, waiting for you to welcome you. And it is there, most of it. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, you arrive into a crisis ongoing, as you were saying. Yes, uh, and that was the best thing, because you arrive. And remember, this is a very spoilery show, but when you arrive, there's a crisis that occurs, and uh, there... Uh, basically, throughout in the initiative, the title is given to uh, one member of every species, and that is Pathfinder. Uh, and a, a Pathfinder is designated to seek out what is known as Golden Worlds, worlds that they've seen from afar that they suspect might be good places for you to build uh, outposts where you can begin, you know, building colonies and things like that. However, when you arrive, something is. Uh, already afoot something has gone horribly wrong um there is a vast nebulous uh, deadly uh scourge essentially as in what it's called it's it, it's like a negative energy web that it's dark energy yeah it's yeah 
um, and it's spiraling around the Andromeda galaxy, and no one knows where it comes from, but it is causing havoc. Um, and these golden worlds are not golden by any sense of the imagination. Something's gone wrong. Um, and it is now your job, uh, through a series of complicated um, uh, events, uh, now being a new Pathfinder, to basically find new worlds uh, in which you can basically try and colonize and save the uh, the Citadel species from dying out in a galaxy far, far away from home. Which was and it, if that wasn't good... pressure enough, you were not trained to be Pathfinder. Good luck. <laughs> no. Yes, yeah, which I loved. I was like, you're just thrust into this role. You find out there isn't a welcoming party. Everything is fucked. Um, good luck. You're going to need it. Um, which I thought was an excellent beginning to the game. Um, and you also have a family, which I which I thought was an interesting t- step to take as well. Well, you have a sibling. <laughs> no, that's well, part you... of the family. <laughs> you... no, that, that's literally all you have. At first. You well, you have a, a father at first, yeah, and then parents. he dies pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. He dies yeah, pretty yeah. damn quick. Yeah, yeah, he does. Bless him. Which is why you are the Pathfinder. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah, so, I, I mean, that obviously sets up the fact that you then have to go and explore all these other worlds to try and make them viable. And in doing so, you find other races. Uh, one which I absolutely adore. Um, the Angara which are awesome, I think. I, I love the Angara. I think I think they did well in not uh, overburdening us with new species to get to know in the first game out of the gate in this new series of Mass Effect games. Mm. Uh, they gave us, broadly, two. The two, bad yes. guys and the good guys. Yes, the cat. And yeah, the Angara, I, I really enjoyed them. Their planets are great. Their architecture is fantastic. Their history is really interesting. And Jarl, despite not being representative of the average Angaran, is a really interesting character. He's a legend. Yeah, he's uh, he's good, and he is obviously one of your. It's nice to have one of the new species as one of your permanent crewmates as well, which you get quite early on uh, from discovering the uh, the Angaran homeworld. But you rightly say, somewhat that. by accident, making your first contact somewhat contentious yes so add to your list of problems apologize to the angara enough that they don't see us as awful alien invaders and colonialist dicks which we are yeah and there's this great scene it's on the first planet you accidentally crash land on you send a bunch of shuttles are sent down to the original golden world habitat seven something i think it's called it's Um, habitat seven Yep, yeah, that's exactly that. Okay, uh, and um, you're, you're sent down because you basically need to work out what's going on with this scourge, this dark energy, and what the hell has happened here. You go down, and um, your uh, shuttle is um, blasted out of the sky by lightning that is basically continually pouring uh, out of the atmosphere, and you crash land with your first squad mate, Liam. Um and together you start trying to find the rest of your crewmates. Everything is going badly, badly wrong. And your first contact is made on that planet with the race uh, known as the Ket. And it goes fucking dreadfully. And I <laughs> said to, to put my- it mildly. I said to myself, like, I was like, I'm gonna go all I'm gonna go all Star Trek on this. I am not going to I'm not gonna be violent. I'm gonna be as peaceful as possible. Um 
violence is 100% a last resort in anything that I'm going to do in this playthrough. And within moments, within a fucking moment, uh, my crewmate is shooting one of them in the head. And I'm like, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I mean, admittedly, they're incredibly, they are a very vicious warlike race. And they have one of your crewmates sort of hostage that they've got a gun next to and they're speaking a language you don't know because your your uh, translators don't work for these um these alien races so you're they're, they're just screaming at you and you're trying to scream at them to tell them that you know we come in peace my hands are in the air like my hands are nowhere near the gun and then instantly a firefighter erupts and i'm like oh fuck um so it's very very dramatic and it echoes for those of you who like your mass effect law the um the first contact war between the humans and the Turians back when um which i didn't really like Except the Turians turned out to be okay and the cat turned out to be massive dicks yeah massive dicks so it's an interesting way to start i actually found the cat eventually very interesting yeah it, it, it took a while for them it to get in Yes. They, they start off as just your generic bad. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's similar to the Geth in the first Mass Effect. They start off as your generic bad that you fight hordes of because mm. they're the default bad guy, but they do eventually get interesting. Yeah. I did miss the now, Geth, actually. That come to the yeah, end. Yeah, I missed the Geth, too. Yeah. But they aren't going to send Geth on the Andromeda no, initiative. They don't do want to bring them with them. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, the Geth might come anyway. Yeah, there I are say. hints. There are hints that the Geth are interested in the Andromeda Galaxy in the game. Well, they were yeah. the first to know the Reapers were coming. Yeah, well, as, as Zoe points out, uh, they were the first to know the Reapers were coming. And uh, uh, yes, Reapers. <laughs> <laughs> we have dismissed this claim. And in fact, it's even said that the Andromeda Initiative got some of the data on Golden Worlds by using a mass relay that the Geth had modified into a faster-than-light telescope, essentially. Yes, that was um, awesome. Which means that the Geth were looking at Andromeda before we were. So uh, maybe they're coming. They had some really clever workarounds for the whole faster than the light thing because, like you say, one, they had adapted the mass relay to be some kind of telescope so it, it they could get images back faster than just looking through a normal telescope, which I... Uh, it's a bit of MacGuffin, but, like, it's a cool explanation. And, yeah, um, they're... It's for people who are playing the game and going, wait a minute, any data you had on these planets would be six centuries old. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and they're like, yeah, yeah, nod and a wink, we know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, also looking into the, because um, you get a new ship, you get a brand new uh, Pathfinder ship in this, which I absolutely adored, the Tempest, which is your new Normandy, essentially. Um, it's not too now, dissimilar. Now, I like the Tempest, but I did hear a, a fairly reasonable criticism of it where they had uh, turned the Tempest itself into the analogy for Andromeda as a whole in their write-up, the writer said, I, I wish I could remember who said it so I could credit them, that the Tempest is a perfect allegory for the game. It is neither different enough from the Normandy to be original and interesting, nor is it quite similar enough to be nostalgic. That's true. Yeah. it's It's like... It's like a not quite as good Normandy because it doesn't have. Now, admittedly, intentionally, it doesn't. They, they intentionally don't equip it with weapons because that's not the signal they're trying to send. Um, but uh, I, I mean, when I said that, I like I liked how they sort of worked around how the Tempest didn't need a. Um, 
Uh, it didn't. You didn't need to use mass relays essentially because the the technology on board was like a superior like pulse drive or something. And because you don't use mass, there aren't any mass relays in in the, in the Helios cluster which you're playing the game in. So at first, I was like, "Hang on a second, how am I able to travel between worlds so quickly without you know the need of a um, a mass relay?" But the uh, and it's because you have the MacGuffin drive. You have the MacGuffin the drive, MacGuffin. and I was like, "That's interesting that they've developed a new sort of technology that's not as fast, but still pretty cool." Uh, in the the with the lack of not having the mass relays. So. I also quite liked that they acknowledged that they had to have that kind of a drive to make this work, but then in-universe have said, look, it's so expensive and complicated, there are only, there's basically only one Pathfinder ship per arc. Don't yeah. break it. Uh, so, you know, it is this very rare pinnacle of technology. You're bleeding, bleeding edge. And the, one of the best things about that is that it causes a, a very, very real point of tension between two of your crewmates, the uh, the pilot and the engineer, who at the start hate each other because they both have different ideas on how the Tempest should be, you know, maintained and operated, which I really liked. Um, it was good fun because they're, they're yes. continually arguing. I actually love that there's a lot more relationship dynamic between the crew in general. Yeah. That exists outside of you, uh, and you observe it happening around you. Uh, so it's just sort of ambient storytelling around you. And I, I did really like that Callow, your pilot, was one of the original designers of the Tempest. Yeah. So to him, this is his baby. You know, this is his project. The reason he came out here as the pilot was to stay with this marvel of technology he created. Mm. Whereas uh, your engineer, he wants it to work. You know, so he's he's knocking it about, he's fixing it, he's tearing bits out, replacing them, and just upgrading in the field. And yeah, it, it's a very, very believable tension between the two of them. Yeah, and uh, uh, in the end, I mean, you can side with different people in arguments and stuff. I sided with Gil because he was like, "Look, I I do the job that I have to do in the moment. There are some times where I have to." fix this to make it work because if i don't we could all die uh, and i was like yeah that's a valid point i guess you need to like move with the times callow callow being a, uh, a salarian the, the great the great thing about him is that he characterized the salarian's memory pretty wickedly as well because their because their lifespan is so quick and fleeting he has a uh, an eidetic memory he remembers everything it's like he's living his memories 100 percent of the time so to have Gil tearing the ship apart in front of his own eyes, you know, whilst he's still living those memories, those nostalgic memories of putting the ship together, I thought that was just a really cool idea. Um, but there's lots of different relationships on the ship, which uh, are pretty interesting to, to go into. Um, we should talk about the crew, I suppose, Simon. Do you have a favourite crew member? I have many favourite crew members. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> of course i can't choose it is too difficult to choose like obviously drac is my favorite crew member because <laughs> he doesn't legend. love a grumpy grandpa krogan and yeah yeah he he is a legend and his relationship with his granddaughter kesh is adorable like there's some genuine affection going on mm. but at the same time he is 
Krogan. He is warrior man. He he goes around killing everything just for the challenge of killing it, and is grumpy and old. And that's the thing. He is grumpy and old. That yeah. is his characterization. He he complains about waking up and hearing entirely new noises his body makes yes. because he is old. Uh, obviously, my favorite character has got to be Vetra. Because from the moment I met her, she's a badass Torian lady who gets shit done and becomes a bit of a a mom of the ship and just looks after everyone and kicks a whole lot of ass. And obviously my favorite character is PB because (laughs) she's the Indiana Jones of the Asari. She's amazing. Yeah. Um, And the thing is, normally... For a Mass Effect game, I end up saying I like everyone apart from the the default human characters that you get stuck with at the start. But that's not true here. I actually really like Liam. Like, his whole backstory of being um, a crisis relief technician, dealing with minefields and stuff, there's a lot of sort of deep emotional resonance there, and I really enjoyed him. Like, one of my weirdly favorite scenes in the game is where he organizes an impromptu soccer match. Oh, yeah. Just to have something normal and relaxing happen in the middle of this crisis, because crisis management is his deal. I uh, I actually took issue with him on one point, um, and I won't go into the whole story, but basically Liam's one of Liam's personal quests, because like with the other Mass Effect games, to earn your crewmates' loyalty, you go and perform uh, a series of tasks or, or do something to get them on side in the narrative. Uh, and with Liam's, one of them is uh, essentially he makes a botched job of this... Um, uh, essentially, what's he trying to do? He, ba- he basically lands you on a Ket ship, but he has no idea that this is going to happen. Like, he basically drops you in the shit, and he has no plan, um, and is literally just losing his mind, being totally unprofessional. And I was just like, Liam, how could you have done this to us? Like, what were you thinking? Like, I was really upset with him. Like, I was like, this would never have happened on the fucking Normandy. People would have, like, you know, gone by the book and stuff. You are just a wild card, and you need to stop letting your emotions dictate what you do. So I got really annoyed with him on that bit. Um, But he's still redeeming enough that I I still like him as a character. It was just... um, well, I suppose good drama. Like, it, it, it changed my opinion of him for, for a little while, at least. Like, uh, I, I felt a little betrayed by him. But uh, His bromance right. with Jarl is amazing. <laughs> yeah, they get naked, which is hilarious. They um, do get butt naked. Yay! <laughs> um, Jarl is just amazing. Jarl is just uh, an incredible character. Um and uh, I have to say, probably has the one of the most badass moments in the entire game. Like, um, there's an orga- organization of the uh, the Angara called the Rokar, which are essentially xenophobists. They hate all aliens. So the fact that all of these aliens have just rocked up on their door, they don't like it. So they banded together and made an organization of hate, where they will take the fight to any alien that steps on their turf. 
Um, in fairness, there's history there, and the, the, the aliens they were dealing with before were the Ket, and so I've got no problem with them hating aliens at that true. point. Very true. Like, the Angara, who are not Rokar, still have the Resistance, uh, which is an organization dedicated to murdering the fuck out of aliens. Yes. It's just that the Rokar are like, the Resistance don't murder the fuck out of aliens hard enough. Yeah. We're going to form a, a terrorist offshoot that murders aliens even fucking more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the resistance <laughs> is willing to hear you out, and the Rokar aren't. It's true. Um, which, again, is a really good storytelling point, because there's the, the whole, you know, would you... They, they, in fact, it's put on you quite a few times. It's to say, well, what if we rocked up in the Milky Way? What would you have done? And you think about, you know... Uh, human nature uh, throughout the years and you're like yeah we can't guarantee that we wouldn't have reacted in the same way so well, Ryder um, the player character makes the point first actually yeah. it's uh, on Habitat 7 right at the beginning says to Liam about how the Kess are treating you you know if they had landed heavily armed on Earth would we have done any different mm. yeah and it's completely valid um we should talk about the cats because I found them really interesting later on in the game uh, when you find out a bit more about them. Because like you say, Simon, first of all, they're just the the big band. They're led by uh, an individual known as the Archon, which is this scary, tall uh, cat, and he has a sort of halo bone structure built up around his face. Um, and they, too, are after the same thing that you are, and it's, it's pretty interesting. Hmm, yeah. Uh, they're sort of generic gribbly aliens at first. Yeah, definitely. It's only when you get the first big cat story mission and invade one of their facilities and find out what they're doing to the Angara mm. that they start to develop a little bit more depth as an antagonist. So what are they doing to the Angara, Simon? The Ket are ascending the Angara. They are taking Angara and turning them into Ket. It seems the Ket have uh, a lot of understanding of genetic technology. Mm. And they can take the Archon's DNA and by injecting it and presumably a cocktail of other drugs, possibly smart machines, we don't know, into the Angara, they can create a new species. And it is very clearly described by Lexi, uh, the ship doctor, who I, I also really like, Yes, as a new species uh, that is more cat than Angara. It's a combination brainwashing, genetic rewriting, and they're producing more of their soldiers. And so every Angara they ascend takes an Angara away and adds a cat, which is a really smart way of doing force multiplication when you're in a war of attrition. It certainly is, yes. But it's also like, it's, it's uh, put across as a holy imperative. Like, mm. this is more than just how they fight a war. This is a crusade. Yeah. And they essentially want to not only purge, but show them the truth, show them that there is a better way to be, and that way is cat. And it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty harrowing when it first happens because like um, I had a, I had a, I suspected there was going to be more to them, 
uh, it's something niggling in the back of my mind. There's definitely something up with these guys uh, that we don't know yet. And then you see it happen firsthand. You see Yanangara horrifically morph into um, uh, the cats where their bones now jut out of their their faces. You know, like it's it's uh, it's pretty grim. And he, I was with. Uh, I don't know if it's optional or whether uh, it was imperative that he be there. But uh, Jarl was with me when that happened. Um, I don't know whether he had to be there. You know, certain missions, some characters have to come with you. Yes. Um, but his reaction was just, oh my god! Like he goes nuts trying to kill them. At, but then thinking to himself, should I be killing them? How many Angarans have I killed in all of my years fighting in the Resistance? How many of my brothers and sisters have I murdered? And it's 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 an amazingly dramatic moment that I thought was probably one of the high points of the game, actually. Yeah, and, and there's a lot involved in getting Jarl to accept that the Ket he's killed are no longer Angara. Yeah. That the Angara died at the moment the Ket transformed them. Um, and that it was the cat that killed his people. It wasn't him. And there is quite a lot of emotional depth to that. I, I really did enjoy that aspect of um, Jal dealing with this revelation. Yeah. But the cat get even more interesting. I, this mm. is why I'm, I'm thinking sort of Geth-like, why I drew that analogy. I like the building narrative that the Archon is not the leader of the Ket. He is the leader of the Ket here. Yeah. And his leadership, his command chain, are concerned about what he is doing, that yeah, he yeah. has become a fanatic. He has gone too far. He's uh, he's a bit of a, a loose cannon, and you you start hearing all the, uh, the audio logs where not only the people serving... Uh, beneath him are becoming concerned with his actions, but also the people above him from, you can only imagine, an entire uh, galaxy ruled by, or, or at least uh, affected by this empire that is sort of uh, in the periphery of the story. Like, you know that there are more of them out there, and you know they operate in a different way to how the Archon is, and if they're worried about him, then, oh my god, what what is this guy like? Um a, a really good villain once you once you sort of get to know him a bit more like uh, at first mm. like with the um the cat themselves you think oh he's just a generic i want to grab power and take over or whatever but uh got quite good uh, characterization behind him in the end which i which i did enjoy and it adds the possibility that these the the higher ups in the chain of command and cat society in general may be more amenable to diplomacy than the archon is so there's a possibility that the cat might develop uh, in later games, like the Geth did, to be both um, a, a generic species and an antagonist, depending on whether you're dealing with the rebel Geth or the regular Geth, depending yeah. on whether you're dealing with the Archon's cat or the other cat. Which is was a really interesting point that was hammered home when you are basically offered a grubby deal. A grubby deal, Uh and before I go into the grubby deal, Simon, did you agree to the grubby deal or did you say no to the grubby deal? Uh, I am having trouble placing the grubby deal. Which grubby <laughs> deal are you talking about? It's a, it's a grubby deal with one of the, I think it's one of the lower in command 
cat, but one of them basically to it is near the end of the game. You uh you basically make a deal with him, so he will one of the it basically is commander of a geth uh, not geth a cat ship, uh who agrees to basically make the ending battle easier by sort of bowing out and allowing you to get past him to basically make the uh, the job of getting to the uh, the archon easier at the end. Do you remember? And you can decide whether you side you can have him uh sort of ignore you or take the fight to him as well and i made a grubby deal with him i do not remember the grubby deal it is entirely possible that i didn't even hear him out and just went no fuck you um That's a point. I, yeah you can do that to be fair yeah i i certainly don't remember making any deals with any cat at any time so oh, i okay. i think no i did not see i made a deal with him um to to uh he basically says look you don't like the archon you know what? Us here, us cats, not all of us are like him. You can, um, we can, we can help you out by like lowering our shields just so you can immobilize our ship. And in doing that, I won't then get called up on a court martial saying that I didn't bother opening fire on you. You've immobilized my ship. So you immobilize my ship. If I lower the shields, that'll make your run at the Archon easier. And I was like, all right, then, uh, I understand that you not all care like the Archon, fine. I agree to your terms. So you never did that. Oh, no. No, oh, no, no. So I make cool. no deals with no cat. I want to go back through now and not make any deals with them, and, and you should do the same, but the other way around, because <laughs> it was really interesting. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I, I learned more about them. The only grubby deal I was aware of uh, was the one that Sloane Kelly offers you, and Sloane Kelly never got a chance to offer me that deal because I, I made that conversation go south very, very quickly. <laughs> you should explain who Sloane Kelly is, because a good character, uh, just a questionable character at that. So in the original Mass Effect games, there was a space station called Omega, ruled over by the phenomenal Arya T. Loke, yeah. uh, played by Carrie Ann Moss. It's basically a pirate haven and a smuggler's cove. It's it's dark and grimy and also neon lit in places. It's um, it's pretty cool. And they clearly wanted to try and recapture some of that magic in Andromeda, and I think largely failed. So it's everything that, uh, uh, that a fan of nineties hacker movies would want it to be. Oh, hey, <laughs> hey, Geth Jack. Um, oh shit, am I all robotic and whatnot? Yeah, you are. Yeah, he's like a Geth. It's awesome. This platform wishes you to understand. That's fucking spooky, dude. <laughs> That's really good. That's really good. Friendly computer. Okay, so we are joined by Legion. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they were clearly trying to recapture some of that magic. But what were you saying about Omega Jack? Uh, we were saying that it is everything that a fan of 90s hacker movies would want it to be. Fucking yes. Yeah, spot on. Um, so they've made their own little smuggler's port uh, in Andromeda. The the story being that the Nexus, long before you arrived, had a mutiny, and a whole bunch of people were kicked off, and some people have just left. Uh, so there's this culture of exiles, including pretty much all the Krogan, and a whole chunk of everyone from other species. And one of the worlds they've settled on was... I cannot even remember the name of it. Can you, Rob? Uh, the one that the uh, the outcasts have gone to. Yeah. Uh, Kavara? Is it Kadara? Oh, it's Kadara. Kadara, that's Kadara. it. Kadara. Yes. 
and Kadara is ruled over by Sloan Kelly. Uh, I had a slightly uncomfortable time meeting Sloan because my rider had the same skin tone and the same haircut, and oh. basically. It's sort of like, are you my mom? Because my mom hasn't appeared in the rest of the game. Are you See, my that, mother? <laughs> that explains it, because I thought I thought to myself, what are you talking about? So I, I, I would have sworn that you would have loved her, but I could see how looking exactly like her may have put you off a little bit. And, and suddenly... You just like an older version of my player character. Suddenly there in a sci-fi game, Simon is there going, are you my mummy? <laughs> uh, yeah, basically. <laughs> Uh, no, I did really like her, but uh, my rider in character did not really like her. So yeah, I didn't get on with her at first. I know there's an opportunity to cut a deal with her. Mm. Uh, I, I have had conversations with various of my friends who've played it. However, I fucking pulled a gun on her really yeah. early in that conversation. <laughs> so did I. Something she did not appreciate, to no. put it mildly. Really? And the opportunity to make that deal went away super fucking quickly interesting about that hey yeah funny that but uh my rider was kind of a noble upstanding optimist and she was a pirate queen uh who was threatening her so it was like fuck no uh it was to character i'm going to do another playthrough with a slightly more morally flexible character yeah, see, uh, I was... <laughs> and I think I might cut a few shady deals with that character. See, I I was playing the I have to I have to make this work whatever the cost kind of character. Like, I was willing to be a bit more flexible. So I think er, eventually I got her inside, but I, I pulled a gun on her later on. Um, but that was... There was a... Oh, man, so does that mean that you had the whole thing... I can't remember his name now. There's a um, there's a smuggler that you sort of do a few missions with uh, yep. there as well. And you have a really cool thing with uh, both him and uh, Sloane as well. Oh, yeah, that still happens regardless, because okay. if you don't get the thing with Sloane, you can still do deals with him. Yeah. And so he is the lead-up to that mission. Uh, where I shot him in the back. Because <laughs> he was uh, an asshole. I, I didn't shoot him in the back, and I kind of wish I had. <laughs> Although Kadara is responsible for one of my favorite little aside scenes that has nothing to do with the plot, but is just great. Because yeah. I really like the bartender at Kadara. Yeah, she was cool. And I really like Drac. Yeah, <laughs> and there is where Drac and Ryder lay waste to the entire bar. Yeah, they were a good old bar I fight. I fucking love that fight scene. It's amazing. Yeah, um, he just goes there to have a fight. Like I, uh, oh, well, no, no, I can't remember who started it, but basically he doesn't stop it. Drac wants to have a fight, uh, so he's more than willing to oblige the people that start like pushing their weight around in that. Um, my Roider joins in, and between the three of you, because I'm counting the bartender, because she does smack that guy in the face with a bottle. She does. <laughs> uh, you lay waste to the entire bar as a bonding exercise. Yes, it was, and that was probably one of the best bonding exercises. Although, to mirror, like, I say mirror that, it's like, it's the exact opposite of that, actually. There is a beautiful scene um, in the uh, the Tempest medbay. Um, you keep hearing throughout the game that... Drag the Krogan um, isn't actually sh that sure of how old he is because he's that old. Like he is the oldest Krogan 
ever. Like he's lived. I'm pretty sure they say a millennium. Like I'm. I'm pretty sure they say that. Oh yeah, he's he's in that ballpark. And he's crazy old. So I mean, for any of those um, familiar with Krogan and Hatsumi from the other games, I don't know if you would be or not, but you'd know that the Krogan have lots of different. Uh, vital organs that are in their body kind of like spares like they have a bunch of hearts a bunch of livers and stuff like that and there's this really sad scene where drac is talking to Ryder about like how it feels that you know you're only running on one heart you know you you've been through well it's it's the fact the scene starts with lexi who really cares for drac yeah lexi has a real soft spot for drac talking to him about all his prosthetics because you find out most of his body is artificial at this point yeah and and how long um you know uh, how how long he's been going how much of him has been replaced and and points out you are out of redundant organs you can't lose anything else you know, yeah you are actually in trouble which leads into the conversation with Ryder about being and it's over a millennium i just checked it's nearly 1500 years jesus uh yeah. which which puts rex in the shade you know it it makes rex look like a kid yeah <laughs> yeah um and he, he talks about how like a bunch of his prosthetics got rejected and stuff and it's just like because you all throughout the time you've had this picture painted of the ultimate kind of Krogan warrior who's seen it all i mean he was there as a kid during the Rachni Wars, like which is a, an event that is talked about quite a lot in the first games, like about this was a an ancient war that happened against the Rachni, and like he was there for that, so he's seen it all, and it's just so sad that him sat on this um this uh, this medical uh, bed just talking to you about it, and it, it's just a really really good bit of writing I found. Um, I think the 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 most emotional punch in that whole conversation is that's where you learn about the origins of Kesh, his, Ah! air quotes, granddaughter. Yes. Because Drak talks about how he's so old, he fought in the original Krogan rebellions. Um, And so he saw what that did to Krogan culture. He, He watched it fall apart. He watched it collapse and turn into what Rex is bemoaning it has become when you first meet him in Mass Effect. Hmm. And um, he talks about how he basically fell into clinical depression, which is a weird weakness for a Krogan to admit to. Yeah. Um, he talks about how he he gave up. He wanted to die because he uh, was taken out by an idiot with a frag grenade. Yeah. that blew off part of his body, and that was when he first got the prosthetics. And uh, Krogan medicine, not great. Not he was great. having trouble getting the prosthetics to work, and he was no longer whole. This soldier, this warrior, had it was fighting with himself just to be a whole individual with an arm. Mm. And he felt like he had become worthless and had no purpose and was contemplating suicide until a shaman came to him with this newly born little girl saying she was weak and worthless and going to die and just handed her to him and that gave him purpose to make sure this girl didn't 
die and wasn't worthless and he raised her and you, you that's when you find out she's not even actually a relative she's just this well, she's a clan, a clan member but not a relative uh, not blood that was just given to him and he turned her into what she is now one of the directors of the andromeda <clears throat> initiative incredibly successful and a badass in her own right yeah and he grew to retain his badassness along with that and it's actually one of the most emotionally affecting sort of side stories in the game to me yeah having had my own run-ins with depression uh i i thought that was a really beautiful story and like added a lot of complexity to drac who was not a complex character until that point yeah yeah, you kind of it's good because it allows you it allows you enough time to sort of think you have the right idea about all of them, and you kind of think, oh, okay, I see where this is going, and then you then you get to like the sort of the, around the second and third act of the game, and then you start finding out mm, much mm. more about each of the characters, which I thought was yes. a clever move. Clever move. I had that with Cora Harper. Uh, she yeah. was perhaps the character that I was having the most oh default stock human starting character, not interested in you. Right. But when you find the Asari arc. Yes. Because she's she's a one-note character up to that point. She keeps talking about how her biotics were so powerful that other humans were scared of her and she was sent to train with the Asari. Which is super cool. Like Which is the, super cool. Yeah, super cool, but not not too, you know... It's not depth. a character. Yeah, yeah. But then you get to the Asari arc with her mentor. Her mentor is the Asari Pathfinder, or was. And how she deals with being amongst, air quotes, her people and finding out what's happened to them and the the terrible things that have happened to the Asari on the way out here and what happened to her mentor and looking at the, the quality of the people ready to step up to replace her. Yeah. Is when suddenly this one note of her having trained with the Asari becomes this whole other cultural side of her you hadn't seen until that point. And I started to really feel empathetic for her at that point. Yeah, I'm the same. It takes a... It, it, yeah, I would say... I, I agree, still don't actually. trust her as far as I can throw her because she's a Harper. And uh, <laughs> that's surname with with lineage in the Mass Effect games. It certainly does have lineage in the Mass Effect games. Um, it is the surname of the elusive man. Mm-hmm. There's no direct proof that she's related. No. But I don't trust her. I see, I heard that, and I was like, yeah, fucking what? <laughs> I was like, oh my god, all the way out here, and yet his fingers are still in pies. What the hell? Um, well, no. it's deep in them. We'll get to yes, that later. Yes, we shall. Um, but, yeah, so overall, like, the, 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 the cast of this, this game... Uh, if you stick with them, you know you will you will find yourself becoming very attached. I mean, I knew I was in for a, a good time with PB without going into too much detail, but like I, I thought that she was <laughs> she leapt on you, straddled you, and you were like, I'm in for a good time with this girl. Yes, but also her characterization is put very much into the forefront as soon as you meet her, as soon as she joins the crew. She decides that the best place for her to, like, set up shop, you know, her place to hang out <laughs> on the Tempest, is in the escape pod because she's that flighty. Like, she she, will, she literally doesn't want to be attached to you in any way whatsoever, attached to anyone. Um, 
She ended up pretty attached to my rider. <laughs> yeah, there's a scene in Zero G which I was impressed with, shall we say. Like, that was pretty impressive. And, um, and she wasn't the only one. I actually got the achievement for completing three romances across all your playthroughs in one playthrough. Oh, see, I only, I only actually romanced her, so I was... I was um, yeah, the game got a bit broken for me <laughs> because I accidentally entered into a committed relationship with both PB and Vetra and oh. also had a relationship with the reporter on the side. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, sorry, I didn't have that. Oops. <laughs> uh, which led to the game getting super confused about the romance scenes. Yes. Because like in other Mass Effect games, there are not points of no return, but there are points in the plot where whatever relationship you've committed to, this is where it moves forward. You get locked in. And so I had Vetra on the ship intercom ask me to come to my quarters. So I went to my quarters and PB was there waiting for me. Oh, oh my oh. God, it's a trap. And I was like, uh, okay, that, that broke slightly. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> And then the next sort of big romance scene I had with Vetra, uh, having had the first step of the relationship build up with PB, and I was like, uh, this has gone horribly, horribly wrong. Oh, dear. To the point that when we came to movie night, <laughs> which is one of my favorite side quests in the game, although See, it's the one with the most bullshit busy work in the game. See, uh, the game, uh, I will say this right now, I uh, I accidentally left Movie Light for too long, I think, because after a while, it wouldn't let me continue. Like, I got all the stuff for it, but it didn't activate. So I was like, oh, so I never saw the Movie Night. <laughs> I have heard of some people getting glitches with Movie Night. Yeah, I didn't get but Movie Night. Basically, Liam decides to have a Movie Night and asks you to go and get some movies. And then another yeah. crew member is like, you can't have a movie without snacks, and asks you to go out and get snacks. And another one wants you to go get beer, another one wants you to go get pop corn and it's it's a long fetch and carry quest chain yeah that builds Hooray. up to a really fun scene of all of the crew watching this movie commenting on it uh mst 3king the screen uh and even going so far as to get Ryder to act out a dramatic scene because she reckons she could do better yeah. um <laughs> but it ends with this group shot of everyone on the couch or sitting around the couch watching the movie and if you have a committed relationship, your love interest is there, snuggled up to you, arm round you, head on your shoulder. I, of course, had two. <laughs> uh, so they were sitting in exactly the same place. Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> oh, you had one of those situations. Yeah, they were clipping into each other, trying to uh. sit in exactly the same place. And the game had got so confused, Ryder wasn't there. So they were snuggled up to, with their arm around, nothing at all. Nice. <laughs> that, was, that was a bit glitchy. Uh, the, the game has a reputation for glitches. I didn't experience that many, but that was certainly one of them. Oh, wow. Oh, wow, that's amazing. I might try my next playthrough to, to make that happen, because that just sounds funny. Oh, dear. Um... But it's it's good, and there are there are lots of options. Like um, my girlfriend has played through it as well, so I, I I got to see what it was like if you romance Jarl, um, and he's a sweetheart, bless him. He looks to be a, a real sweetheart. 
Um, I mean, even if you don't romance him, his sweetheart nature comes through. Yeah. There's a scene where you have a conversation with him where you realize he's suffering from massive imposter syndrome. Yeah. And he's talking about all the presents he wants to make and or get for the rest of the crew. He is just a softy. He is. And so hardcore. I mean, there's a scene in his... um, loyalty mission where he's facing off against the leader of the Rokar, the extremist um, faction of his race. And um, I don't know, like, it depends on what happens, but, like, it gives you the option to open open fire on this guy. But you know that if you kill this guy, he'll become a martyr to his cause. So I've got my gun out next to his head, like, I, I want to kill him, but I can't, because otherwise... And he takes a shot at Jarl. I was like, no! And the, it just follows the shot with a slow motion camera, following the the um, the, the energy bolt from his gun, fire at Jarl, and he doesn't move. He just stands there and watches it, and it just skims his cheek and gives him this badass scar. And he's just still standing there watching it. For like I was like, he didn't even blink. It's the fact that just before it gives you that chance to take the shot and prevent him from shooting Jarl, Jarl gives you this little shake of the head just to yeah. say, no, let, let this happen. Yeah. That's why I didn't do it either. Yeah. And yeah. I love as you walk away, Jarl going, he was always a terrible shot. And Ryder's <laughs> going, I wish you told me that before. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly thought I was going to shoot him in the face. So I was like, this is, oh. But I'm glad I didn't shoot him because... Uh... Yeah, I mean, that is one thing to say about this game. Like, all the other Mass Effect games have dealt with loss. So you literally can't get through the first game without losing someone. And you can also lose Rex. Uh, The second game, if you fuck up with the loyalty, if you fuck up the suicide mission, you lose people. You lose a lot of people, yeah. And three is obviously about losing everything. Uh, there's no real loss in Andromeda. There's not even a potential no. for it. You can no. get through the suicide mission and save everyone, which, yeah, whether that's a good thing or not, it's debatable. But you can't really lose anyone in Andromeda apart from uh, your dad, and that's just right up front plot point. It's nothing you can prevent. You can't not lose him either. And so spoiler spoiler it's never that risk of loss. <laughs> and you don't you don't even end up losing your mother, which you thought you did at the beginning. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you uh yeah, you, you get your uh your sibling back and no, you're right. Like I, I was really I was waiting for it to happen because I was like they're they're probably gonna try and follow some of the templates of the older games, and I thought Oh, is it going to be a whole Liam and Cora thing? Maybe as they're the original two, maybe you'll have to pick between those two, like uh, Caden and Ashley. Um, but no, I mean, don't get me wrong, I wasn't upset it wasn't that, but I kind of like the idea of there being that threat. Some stakes. Wasn't. Yeah, yeah. It, it feels kind of low stakes because you don't lose anyone at mm. any point. There's not even really a risk of it. I don't know what happens if you do take that shot in that scene. Maybe it all kicks off and they kill Jarl then. I don't know. Mm, but don't know. It, it never really feels like you're at threat of losing anyone. No. No, I agree there. And some of the, like, yeah, at the very beginning, like, and you could tell me if you found something different, Simon, but at the very beginning, uh, when you completed getting the outpost for the first world that you come across, Eos, which is a desert planet, uh, you're asked that the uh, when you build your first colony, it says to you, 
So you need to decide what kind of colony this is. Is it going to be a scientific research center or is it going to be a military base? Be advised. This will reflect on, uh, this will have huge repercussions because... It will set the tone for the Andromeda Initiative yeah, and what, this is what our mission here is. Yeah, and I was like, oh shit, you're right, it will It will send a huge statement to what we intend with Andromeda. I better, I better do this well, so I chose, which I thought was the best decision to make, uh, the science post as did i yeah yeah i was like it's gotta be like um we're here to learn we're here to be um uh, civilized like i say doing the whole star trek thing violence is a last resort um but then i didn't see i didn't see any opportunity for that to be you know it like, didn't really set a tone for the andromeda initiative <laughs> yeah it didn't make much difference but yeah. I mean, neither of us have done it the other way. We don't no. know. Which I will do, I reckon. I'm just going to be a prick in my next one. Um, <laughs> as much as, as the game lets you as be. As much as I, I can be, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, there were things like that that I thought, oh, that's a shame. But then the mission that I thought was the strongest, in my opinion, was the uh, the story mission where you have to... You basically are trying to find all the different arcs. And for some reason, you just can't for the life of you find the Solarian arc. It's just nowhere to be seen. And eventually, as you make your way through the game, you finally get a notification saying, we have progress, we found it, it's here, you need to get there quick. And you go to the Solarian Ark and you find it's been anchored to the Archon ship and the Ket had it for God knows how long. And by this point, you already know that the uh, the Kets are forcibly changing people with their ascendance thing. With um, And are studying the Milky Way species for ascendance. Yes. Uh, their research notes are great. I love that they, <laughs> they're really interested in the Turians because the Turians have this natural metal uh, exoskeleton that makes yeah. them very tough and very resistant to radiation, and that's really interesting as a, a good quality they want to pull from and them. good discipline as well. Yes, and they're really yeah. interested in the Krogan because of their redundant organs and long lifespans. They'll be a really good addition. And the Salarians have such intellectual capacity and quick minds, and that'll be an excellent addition. And uh, the Asari are fascinating to them because they're already about this interesting uh, fusion of DNA that will add to their genetic research and, and possibly yeah. make enlightenment even easier and all biotically gifted. And then humans are there too. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of I just like, love that their research notes show no interest in humans. They're like, I guess they're they're kind of resilient for how weak they are. Yeah, that's, they're, like, they're that's adaptable. Nice. They're adaptable, if yeah. anything. Fair enough. Yeah. But nothing on the others. <laughs> yeah, no, no real standout quality that they want from humans. It's like, no. Hey, it was very funny. Things. And then you obviously have this, but this whole mission takes place where you basically you, you try and send a message and you steal the Salarian Ark right from under his nose um, trying to free as many Salarians as possible but then you are left with a choice you uh, you free um, the perhaps uh, the one choice that I felt had any consequence right, in this game which is why I thought it was the most impactful um, during this mission you come across the uh, the Salarian um uh, Pathfinder, who has, um, with a, a team of hers, is now going to help you with your mission, and you have to do all sorts of things. You have to disable the main cannons on the uh, the Ket ship so it won't blow you up as you disembark and stuff, and all sorts. And you're running out of time. You're desperately trying to make your way into to free as many Solarians as possible um, and, and get everyone out safely. 
and you're left with a, a problem. You also find out that these scouts, these Krogan scouts that have been missing for the majority of the game, you find out that they are also captive on board this place. And, and they are Drax scouts and Drax clan. Yeah. And you, you are then left with a decision. You hear the, uh, the Salarian Pathfinder is suddenly in trouble. And you're like, crap, we only have time to either go and help her or save the Krogan scouts. Um, uh, you only have time for one. and Yeah, you know, it's the only time where you actually have to really make a decision at the cost of an alternative. You can right. only go for one. And I, uh, I maintained that it was right for me to go and help the Krogan. What did you do, Simon? I helped the Salarians, because ah! I was like... There are more Krogan. There are not more Pathfinders. But I thought to myself, eh, we'll, we'll get another Pathfinder. I'm another Pathfinder. It can happen <laughs> at again. This point, like, I was looking at how the human Pathfinder, dead, replaced by an unqualified person who, as much as I liked myself, I had to acknowledge I was not ready for this mission. Asari Pathfinder, dead. Replacement, not qualified. In the slightest. <laughs> um, uh, the Turian had the same thing. I was like, this is the original Pathfinder. The Salarians are the only people with an actually trained and qualified Pathfinder left. <laughs> One of us should actually know how to do their job. I'm going to save the Salarian Pathfinder because then we'll have a Pathfinder. No, Simon. I was like, look, if I can do it, anyone can. Fuck them. I went to get the <laughs> And I thought, Simon, I was like, the, the main reason I chose them, in all honesty, is because I was thinking back to past mistakes and I was like, the Krogan are always, are always the ones that suffer. Sometimes because of their yeah. fault, but may, they always suffer. So I was like, give the Krogan a break. Funnily enough, if you choose the Salarians, Drac makes that very point to you. Oh, a lot. does he? Oh, yeah. Like, the moment I made the decision, because he was with me, he just turned at me, glaring, and went, what's a few more Krogan? Oh no! See, and that's afterwards all... on the ship, he railed at me about how the other races always throw the Krogan under the bus at any opportunity. If it's a choice between helping the Krogan and helping anyone else, the Krogan gets shafted, and the Krogan are never respected. And he thought you were different, but you've proven to him what kind of person you are. And he, it really made me feel really bad. Yeah, and. And, like, the next conversation you have with him, you know when you see a closed door and you know that means there's a cutscene that triggers? Yeah. The next one with him is literally him turning around and going, you don't want to be talking to me right now. Get out. Oh, my God. I was like, oh, shit, this actually has consequence. Oh, fuck. Right, so, Simon, you know, uh, I don't know whether you do this, but after, like, big missions and stuff, you do the rounds, you go and talk to your crew yep. and stuff. Yep. I did that after that mission, but I deliberately left... Because I'd chosen the, to save the Krogan, so I was I was really scared about going to speak to Callow, the pilot, who's a Salarian. Mm. And I was like, oh, fuck this, fuck this. I was like, fuck it, I'm going to talk to him, he'll understand. And I go up to him, I'm like, Callow, and he goes, In interesting choice you made uh, about, about there. And, like, he is, like, the exact opposite. Like, he just is cold. He is cold to you. And he just, I can't remember exactly what he says, other than he says, well, you know what I told you about... Uh, uh, my memory. Yeah, I'm never going to forget this. I'm never going to forget the decision that you made today, Ryder. I'm going to live with that until my dying day. And I was like, 
<laughs> like, I liked Callow, but like him, oh, he was just so mean. And I was like, there was nothing I could have done. I'm sorry, I had to make a call. And he was just like, no, no, fuck you, no. <laughs> so, uh, I bet he got over it in terms of how he treated you later in the game. Uh, kind of, yeah. Yeah, because so did Drac. Yeah. So as much as this one does have consequences, it also kind of doesn't. True. It just makes you feel bad in the moment. Yep. Either way. Yeah. <laughs> misery, I, I misery. Drac and to have him turn on me, and for it to last a while, like, it takes some time before he gets over it. It does last a while. It was, it was a consequence, and it was an effective consequence. I really thought about whether I'd made the right decision because I was like, okay, Drac, I thought he was a friend. I honestly thought he would understand the rationale of we need pathfinders but no no okay yes he has valid points uh i didn't really think about the political history of krogan relations oh shit i don't <laughs> see that was one time where I, I was sure i had made the right call but like um but there is no right call and that's i suppose the uh, the dichotomy really isn't it that's the problem and i liked it i just re i just had wished that there were going to be a few more that were going to uh um dictate the future you know i think i could like the ending as well like i, I don't want to go too much into the ending uh, and i still think that as much as we discuss this it's still worth playing this game i think uh, it's oh yeah really... i i think we've talked a lot about the stuff that gets good yeah uh, a lot of it... the stuff that's emotionally resonant uh, a lot of the stuff that really rings uh, with you, you know, for a while after playing the game. Mm. And I think the ending, the actual set piece final battle, is great. It's a good fight. Like, it is a really good fight. Uh, and it, uh, Like, even the journey to the last fight, where you take the Nomad and drive through a war zone. Yes. Is so good. It's everything that uh, London at the end of Mass Effect 3 should have been. That's right, yeah. That's a very good point. It is very cool. You've got all the, um, you've got the Tyrion in there, fighters, sort of like uh, trying to basically hold the line and stop uh, any any more people getting to the surface. And another sort of Star Trek thing that I like, Meridian, which is the sort of basically what you're trying to find, it is the source of the remnant power, which you've not really gone into, but it doesn't matter. No, not at all. Is it, the is remnants it... are basically the Prothean for yeah. the new galaxy. They're the ancient race who seeded the galaxy with this miraculous technology, except in this case, rather than Mass Effect relays, it's the vaults, uh, capable of atmospheric manipulation on amazing scale. So it mm. turns these this desert world into something more habitable. It, it blocks the radiation, it lowers the temperature, and it makes it livable. It uh, warms Vold a little, makes it more livable. It It's... It you know changes things on a global scale, quite literally, uh, all through the power of Sudoku. <laughs> yes, all the power of yes, you're right. You do have to play Sudoku to make it work. Yeah. Sudoku. Yes, each of the vaults is locked right. uh, behind a puzzle, and it's fitting these glyphs into these boxes so that no line repeats a symbol, no box repeats a symbol. It's Sudoku, but right. instead of numbers with alien glyphs. Oh, and I don't have the patience for Sudoku, so you can imagine my joy of coming across those. Um, but, um, but what I was Which saying, means that Sudoku <laughs> kills your dad. Sudoku does kill your dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but there's this amazing planet that you find towards the end of the game and it's am i right in saying it's a dyson sphere yeah it's not a planet it's a dyson sphere yeah which uh it's not technically a dyson sphere because it's not built around a star i don't know where it gets its energy and light from but yeah a dyson sphere is a fully enclosed sphere of metal where the interior surface is supposed to be built around a star at a a a a radius of the sphere such that the surface is in the Goldilocks habitable zone from the star. Which would so make it the huge. interior surface is habitable. Yeah. Um, we, yeah, it's huge. I mean, if you think about the interior volume of a sphere, the radius of Earth's orbit from the sun, as opposed to the exterior surface of a globe the size of Earth, it's... It's many, many, many times larger. It's like huge. It's it's, it's insane. Um, so it's it's the ultimate golden world. It's a perfectly habitable planet capable of supporting billions upon billions upon billions. Yeah. And you crash your ship into it. <laughs> yeah, you do. Oh, of course, you not do. not just the tempest, by the way. The human arc. Oh, the beast. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. What? You get Captain Dunn, who is sort you, of like... It's not a choice. Oh. No. <laughs> you, know, you know when ships crash and the person flying it didn't want to crash? It's one of those. Oh, uh, one of those situations. Noise. But it, uh, it does have an odd way of working out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really good in- final encounter because obviously you have... You're like, right, we're all in now because the human arc has crashed onto the surface. We have to win. We have to win. Um, and the Archon is basically trying to link himself into Meridian so he will be able to control this remnant technology for his own nefarious purposes. And you've got to stop him because this is the only way that you're, that all of the races are going to survive. Um, and if he does it, if he stops you then obviously there's no way that you're going to be able to continue existing in andromeda there is no going home you cannot go back to the monkey way this is a one-way trip um, yeah so the the final showdown is an all or nothing for not just your race but all the milky way races yeah and i really was really happy because i can't i can't i think it might have been two it might be three but there is the moment where you know, usually in Mass Effect, you choose two squad mates to come with you. Well, at the end of this fight, everyone shows up. Everyone shows up and is uh, at your side as you fight against... Yeah. Um, it's not like the suicide mission where you keep splitting up and you have two with you at all times. No, everyone is with you. And it's pretty cool. Like, you'll, you'll be, like, taking a shot and you'll see that Drac shoots someone over your shoulder or something because there's so many people covering you there's just more chance of that cool stuff happening um all the biotic characters just sending people up into the air you doing uh tech combos on them and stuff really it's great chaos but it's glorious chaos <laughs> glorious chaos and that's something else that i i really appreciate about the game the fact that you could and this is more mechanically uh customize the sort of abilities you had so i i was kind of a soldier slash infiltrator i had my tech powers had my overload had my tactical cloak um, but you could switch around, you could switch your profiles and stuff, so you could be better at certain things at certain times in the game. Fight as well, so yeah, like you could have a profile for dealing with the big bads because 
you know how you always have the mini boss characters in the Mass Effect games. You could have a profile set up to fight them and switch to it when they turned up and then switch back to your generic combat profile again afterwards. It's It adds a lot of diversity to how your character plays, which means you don't have to regret having chosen one class or another at character creation. You can play around with whatever throughout. Yeah. And as I discovered today... Um, I didn't realize this was the case, but there is a new game plus option. So you can max everything if you wanted. I, I know. Yeah, uh, where well, you I keep all I... your skills and all your inventory, <laughs> uh, which is a hindrance as well as a yeah. benefit because I, I leveled them up. increased I... <laughs> my infantry capacity during my first playthrough. Yeah. And I had a full inventory when I finished. So I started New Game Plus with 60 out of 50 inventory items built. <laughs> Which meant I couldn't pick anything up, which yeah. means that on Habitat 7, I'm stuck with the pistol because there's a point where it wants you to pick up an assault rifle, but I can't. Oh, no. See, uh, so that's now they've now increased it. They did a, an emergency update because we should address the, uh, the, the how this game was received. And I won't lie, when it first came out, the faces were astonishing. <laughs> like, there were, there's Anderson... Who uh, I agree, Simon. Is that the one that you said wasn't particularly well uh, voiced? Addison, Addison, not Anderson. Anderson is the captain um, in the first Mass Effect yeah, game. Sorry, wishful thinking. Um, yeah, Addison's <laughs> voice acting is so strange. Really weird. I don't like it. I don't like her as a character either. But that's separate from that. But still, I didn't get on with her. But she just wouldn't blink. She had like this constant look of surprise on her face. And I was like, that's really strange and annoying. Surprise sort of sums up how everyone looked before the patch, because <laughs> one of the things they did wrong was the eyeballs had no uh, shading in the corners of the eye, so they no. were just very, very wide and very, very white all the time. So everyone looked like they'd constantly just been shocked. <laughs> yes. Constantly. <laughs> Yeah, constantly. No matter what facial expression they were making. It was somewhat unnerving, I'll admit, but they, they did fix that. There's a um there's a cutscene that I noted, and this was straight away. It's it's like when you first wake up in your habitation deck, you've woken up from cryosleep, and then suddenly there's a big shaker's uh um your arc hits the uh, the scourge, the dark matter energy or whatever, and you're all flown to the floor. And it's this cutscene of you falling to the floor next to Lexi, the Asari doctor. And she looks across at you and she has the weirdest gurning smile on her face. I'm like, <laughs> why are you looking like that? We're all in danger. What's wrong with you? Like, oh, God, that was weird. Asari weird. Yeah, thankfully it's fixed now. And it looks much better, much better than what it did. And people aren't holding their guns backwards. No Tyrians shooting themselves in the face by mistake. Which I, I never happened to me, but I wish it had, because it sounds brilliant. <laughs> it's weird. But there we go. Overall... Although I did have Drax solve the genophage by uh, developing um, asexual reproduction. Yes, Oh my god, yes. Like, they address the genophage. They're like, yeah, well, we've all been on ice for 600 years. We were able well, to... No, no, no. I, I was talking about the fact that he. I went to visit Cash, and Drak was stood in the corner. Yeah. And then he walked away from the corner in two different directions. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, spontaneous asexual reproduction, that's the solution for the genophage. True. But they also, they also do come up with how they've managed to slow the genophage down for them in uh, Andromeda, which I thought was quite neat. Um... 
and you actually have to go and find Dr. Akir's work at one point, which I yes, know, you like, do, that's yeah. pretty friggin' sweet. They're talking about Dr. And they address that the Krogan that was sent was specifically those with the highest fertility rates, so yeah. they're trying to bring the strongest genes into the project that they possibly can. I think... I think it would be best for us to wrap up on this, though, because this is something that will lead on to later games, I think. Uh, oh, I suspect so. No matter what you think of the uh, uh, the original. Um, am I still... Can you still hear me? Because it just made yes, a funny Yes, yes, I can still hear you. It's fine. That's, that's weird. There was a weird thing that came up on my screen. Um, so... You have this uh, function with Sam, your AI that's in your head, we should have mentioned him before, uh, where you're able to access your father's memories, and you do so throughout the game, collecting these memories from different points in the maps and stuff. And you basically start detailing sort of like a memory library of what your father was going through before his journey to Andromeda. And specifically involving the development of Sam. Yeah. Because Sam is an AI, which if you've played the original Mass Effect games, you'll know full AI is illegal. Um, and your mother, being a biologist, dealt with the neural interface. So the two of them created Sam together. Yeah. Which is... And as, as you learn more of these memories, you realize your, your mother was... Um, uh, incurable she was ill she was dying and they had this this crazy project that sam could help keep her alive uh the details of which aren't gone deeply into Mm. uh it's just except that they knew what they were doing because that's their field of research it's not yours um so yeah you get these these memories that unlock piece by piece throughout the game and the, the very first one is your dad attempting to get funding from the Citadel for the Sam research and then saying, no, it's illegal. We're not going to pay for it. And also you should stop. Yeah. Not very nice. <laughs> well, I mean, it is illegal. Yeah. He was but... there going to the government going, will you research my crime? <laughs> yeah. will, will, you, will you fund my research into crime? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he did have some good arguments, but they, he wasn't able to sway them. So he obviously had to go and look for funding elsewhere. And this ties into you learn that the Andromeda Initiative itself, not a cheap endeavor. You're building massive infrastructure, massive starships, uh, bleeding edge technology, ships that don't need mass relays. This is incredible undertaking and you learn that there was a mystery benefactor who helped fund the project. Yeah. Who do you reckon that was, Simon? Well, who do we know that (laughs) has seemingly limitless resources, the ability to build mega infrastructure, an interest in the survival of the human race, knowledge of the Reapers, and a fascination with AI? Lex Luthor. And the surname Harper. (laughs) Lex Luthor Harper. (laughs) (laughs) It is never explicitly said that Cerberus backed the Andromeda Initiative. But everything you know about the Benefactor and the project certainly sounds like something they would do. And every time... And I can't help but notice the human arc had a much better time getting to the Nexus than the alien arcs. They barely made it. They only make it because you save them. Yeah. That's a very good point. I hadn't thought of it like that. Yeah, I, they I, were wildly I, off course. Yeah, the human arc arrived. Mm. 
uh, the alien arcs were wildly off course. That was weird. Weird oversight that all the aliens <laughs> wouldn't make it. <laughs> to maybe make sure that humanity continued and they make didn't. it until yeah. humanity had completely established themselves as the dominant species in the Helios cluster of the Andromeda galaxy. It's, it's strange that. And it's also quite weird how when speaking to this mysterious benefactor, they're not showing their face. It's almost quite uh, elusive. Uh, <laughs> they are shifting between yeah. three faces as well. I think it's three faces. Yeah, they certainly do seem a little elusive. It's almost like three heads. Yeah, it's, it, it, some, it does seem to be like a, an elusive man with three heads. Yeah, <laughs> with with a lot of money and and an interest in getting the fuck out of the Milky Way before the Reapers turn up. And it's also interesting that people like Dr. Liara Tassoni gets a little bit of a cameo in there as well. Yes, she does. Um, and we know that she is in charge of quite a lot of criminal <laughs> things by the end of the trilogy, at least. Well, um, yes, but the, uh, the, the time Alec was in contact with her was long before the Shadow Broker stuff. That's true. It was through one, wasn't it? But they were talking yeah. one and two, at least. Um, so yeah, the shadow broker at this time would have been a yarg. Yeah, yeah. Or the also, guy that the yarg killed, admittedly. Yeah. You also talked to Garrus's dad. No evidence of how long the yarg was shot. Yep, Garrus's dad is also in the memories. Well, There's like lots of other um, little tie-ins as well, like uh, the head of security on the Nexus is uh, the brother of the Turian woman from the Omega DLC. Yeah, uh, you get to meet Conrad Verner's sister and find out that yeah, it's it runs in the family. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, lots of little references like that that are very very cute throughout the game. Mm. But hearing Liara turning up in the uh, the voice logs was was rather nice. I like that as well. I was happy. Um, see, I think overall, like from the way we've been talking, like uh, pretty damn good effort. Um, I'd say, um, like there were bits of it, like the decision making, there were the things that were holding my. Uh, this is an amazing game back, but I, I still think that the writing elements and the characterization still make it a really strong entry. Yes, I think the fairest thing I can say about Andromeda is Mass Effect One had its flaws. Its strengths yeah. were in its storytelling and its. Um, and, and the consequences of the decisions you made. Yeah. Its weakness was as an RPG and a combat system. Yeah. Andromeda is the other way around. Combat. It's really strong as a, a combat game. It's really strong in the mechanical side. Its weakness is in the sense of consequence to the narrative. Yeah. But if Andromeda 2 can be as much of a leap forward in that regard as Mass Effect 2 was over the original in terms of mechanics, no. I'm, I'm pretty happy for the franchise going forward. Me too. Uh, I'm excited to see what else, because we've only seen the Helios Cluster, you know, that isn't all of Andromeda by any stretch. Like, uh, there's still a lot to be discovered with the Kets and new races. And also, at the very end, I was very pleased to hear that a kind of distress signal had been received from the Quarian uh, yes. with the Elcor and the Hanha uh, and the um, 
I don't know if, I don't know if they had said Pateria, but there was a bunch of the ones that aren't in this game showing up, but it wasn't a distress signal. It was a signal saying, stay the fuck away. Do not come near us, please, for the love of God. So that's interesting. Yeah, so definitely a hook that more species will be turning up. I fucking hope so. I miss the Quarians and the Elkor. I miss them so bad. I wanted the Elkor battle. And to find out that PB's dad was an Elkor blew my fucking mind. Yes. <laughs> was that like, was brilliant. I love that. I was that. like, you what? But, uh, you know, can't be too judgmental. You know, it's, it's what they do. I do we want to mention one of my favorite revelations like Jarl has a, a hard enough time dealing with what the ket are uh, yeah. and then he has to learn what the angara are yeah oh god i forgot about that but yes it's perhaps my favorite reveal in the game yeah because the angara one. are a deeply spiritual people yeah like some of them believe uh there's uh, in reincarnation and there's references to the the ability to access past lives memories and and then they discover that they are a completely manufactured species, that the remnant made them, yeah. designed them as a species to inhabit the Helios cluster. They were an experiment to create viable life for this these worlds that they were terraforming. So the entire depth of their spirituality and culture is just completely stripped away from them. And that is a moment that has depth. It really does. And you, you keep having these discussions with Suvi, who is uh, also part of the crew, uh, who is a deeply religious person, who is actually a, a, a Christian who like believes in God. And you're, you have many interesting conversations with her where she's like, well, you know, perhaps God is this like a, a another like more powerful um, alien species that once existed. We just don't know. And then that happens. You're like, yeah, so that happened. Is that the same with us? Like, what do you think about that? And she's just like, I don't fucking know. What's going on? Right. Her um, Christianity is one of those times where I would have preferred more than a binary choice, actually. When yeah. you first find out she's a Christian and you yeah. basically have the choice to either go, oh, yeah, me too, essentially, yeah. or fuck you, there's no God. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, there's a middle ground here, Ryder. Yeah. Yeah. There's a I was, middle ground uh, of. You do you, you know? <laughs> yeah, you do you. I was hoping for a you do you. Well, it kind of was a you do you, but it wasn't... The text saying the option wasn't a you do you. It was a fuck you well, sort and of... And what you say was just, <laughs> there is no God. Like, yeah. it's, it's, not a, it's not a, well, I don't believe that, but that's cool. It's just, you're wrong. <laughs> you're like, wrong, CB. Ryder, calm the fuck down. Like, let her do her thing. She's not hurting anyone. <laughs> But again, another really interesting character thing that she she has that faith. Um, uh, yeah, just just really cool things that get addressed in that game. Um, but yeah, and she doesn't addressed. seem to express any of Ashley's racism as a result. So that's good. Yeah, that's true. Fucking hell, what a racist she was. Ah, she got better towards the end. She did get a bit better towards the end when I let her live. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah overall uh pretty pretty great game uh jack irish from what you've heard would this make you want to play it despite the fact we've spoiled it quite heavily play what now <laughs> <laughs> um what 
I still need to play two and three, but yeah, it makes it makes me makes me want to play the the series. Well, that's definitely good. worth playing. Definitely worth playing. And I will definitely give Andromeda a go. Cool. I'm glad to hear that. Are there, as you are our laymen, our representatives of the audience here, and you have largely been an audience. Yeah, sorry, uh, guys. Sorry. Are there any questions arising from the discussion we've had that you would like answered? Apart from when will you stop? <laughs> I'm I'm drawing a blank. I'm going to admit. Yeah. It, Pretty much covered everything, so... Awesome. We've done a good job. Yes, good. Excellent. Well, I'm glad to hear that you liked it, Simon, because I was all the way through playing. I was standing, I was like, I wonder what you, you think about this, because uh, it is a dra- there are drastic changes, um, some of them for good, some of them for ill. Uh, but it still is a bright feature for the, uh, for the Mass Effect series, I think, uh, despite those flaws. Um, I uh, look forward to seeing what DLC might be available as well. I have a feeling yeah. the Quarian thing might be a DLC. I don't know. I, I think you could be right, to be honest. It, it feels like the right kind of setup for a DLC. Mm. Uh, I'll, we'll wait and see. I do, you know, I do have faith that Bioware as a company have been pretty good at taking customer feedback the right way, ignoring the the stuff that can be ignored and listening to the stuff that's valid. They're yeah. pretty good about filtering the message. I, I, I hope they'll learn the right lessons from this. Uh, I yeah. think what they did was was a strong start for a new team in a new galaxy. Yeah. By a new team. Already mm. and, and they have already fixed things. You know, they've already been responsive. So yeah. that's good. You can skip the traveling between the planets when you're mining and stuff, and just little things that make it a bit more seamless. Although I am still a bit upset that you have to still go into fucking orbit to send an email from the Tempest. Yes, that annoys the <laughs> shit out of me. Like, the, the Omni tool is this ridiculously overpowered mobile computer that can do miraculous things, but not check your email. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh well I have a smartphone I have it here yeah, I can right check here. my email on that now I don't have to go into space <laughs> ah but you can't go into space anyway I, I fucking can <laughs> go on then go into space alright give, give me a space shuttle I can't you're supposed to do that yourself with your smartphone smart man I didn't say I could go into space with my smartphone. No, it was I in, said the, it was, I as a human being am capable of going into it space. It was inferred from my stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. So, Massive Andromeda, go play it. Um, enjoy it. See what you think. Let us know how you feel as well. I'd be interested in what other people feel about this game. Yeah, Where can they, they tell us? Do you agree or disagree? If you want to get in touch, then you can tweet us at Unprepared Show. You can find us on Facebook as Dangerously Unprepared, or you can just go to dangerouslyunprepared.com. Let us know. We want to know what you think of Andromeda. Are we right or wrong to say, give it a go? In fact, we want to know... And did you do some of the stuff that we didn't do? And tell us how that went. In fact, we want to hear from you about anything. Anything, yes, and everything. Suggest the topic also. Do that. That's good. Yep. On the we website, need. please suggest things for us to do in future episodes. We we enjoy 
We enjoy my cat going insane in the background as I'm recording an episode. <laughs> Are you all right up there? <laughs> uh, we enjoy hearing from you and we enjoy seeing the kind of things you want to hear us ramble on about for a couple of hours. So mm. do go to the website and leave ideas. And I know we haven't done all of the ones that are there, but we will get to them. I promise. Most of them. Yeah. And to find out which one we get to next time, you'll have to tune in again. But for now, you have been listening to Dangerously Unprepared. I have been Simon. Uh, I've been Jack. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Rob. And I've been Irish. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.